When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Reckless speculation. It's Mackie and Judd from the TCL Broadcast Studios. TCL, America's fastest growing TV brand. Now launching. Mackie and Judd. We'll We get things rolling with the opening bell. Want to ring the bell? We're trying to put a plan together where you're unpredictable. So certainly if you're staying in one personnel grouping at times and you're running it and you're throwing it, I think that can be make yourself unpredictable to the defense. Um, on the other hand, you like to mix in personnel so that they have different people running on the field and they got to de- defend against different people. So I think you try to find that balance of staying in one personnel grouping, and there are some teams that stay exclusively in one personnel grouping, and, and there's some thought to that too. But then making yourself difficult to defend and throw out multiple tight ends, then throw multiple wide receivers out. Well, after exploring their options in recent days, if the Vikings approached uh, Dirk Cutter, the former Tampa Bay coach, about their offensive coordinator job, Dirk said, I'm taking the same job, Zimmy, but I'm taking it in Atlanta. If they approached Mike Malarkey, another, uh, actually a former Viking tight end who then went on to become a head coach in the National Football League, including in, if I'm not mistaken, Jacksonville, Buffalo, and Tennessee, Mike Malarkey said, Zim, I might like you, but I think there's some uncertainty with your OCs, so I'm taking the job in Atlanta. And the Vikings said, what job? And he said, the tight ends coach. And so today, Kevin Stefanski, who reportedly was set to go uh, to Cleveland for a second interview for their head coaching job yesterday, and it sounds like lost out to uh, Freddie Kitchens, who was the Browns' interim OC himself this season. Kevin Stefanski, after three games as the Vikings' interim OC at the end of the 2018 season, is the Vikings' choice as their offensive coordinator. And Manny Hill, let me tell you this. Here, mm-hmm. here is my... Here is my uh, synopsis or deduction of the situation that Kevin Stefanski has been put into at the tender age of 36. But keep in mind, he's been on the Viking coaching staff since he was literally a gopher for Brad Childers in 2006, which was Chile's first year. And there was a time when I covered the Vikings for the Star Tribune when one of Stefanski's main training camp jobs was to get his phone out with the Doppler radar on it and tell Childress if there was going to be lightning in the area for a Vikings practice. My synopsis of what Stefanski is going to be expected to do by Zim is to be Pat Shermer Jr. And I was crunching some stats today, and I think these are the most important stats because what did we hear? Basically, it sounds like internally Zim all season long was not happy that John DiFilippo, the offensive coordinator for 13 games of 2018, didn't run the ball enough. Here are the key statistics. Vikings 2017 offense, and that team went 13-3 and and made it all the way to the NFC title game. Vikings 2018 offense, 8-7-1, and missed the playoffs. Zim, I want to run the ball more, right? In 2017, the Minnesota Vikings, under Pat Shermer, who had a fantastic year calling place, finished 7th in the National Football League in rushing average at 122.3 yards per game. And... They were second in rushing attempts. This is probably the most important stat. They were second in rushing attempts in the league in 2017 under Pat Shermer with 501. Second to Jacksonville. That's it. In 2018, with Kirk Cousins now employed as your quarterback and flip calling plays for the first 13 games, the Vikings finished 30th in rushing average, 93.3 yards per game. Mm -hmm. But once again, I think the most important stat, and I think what Stefanski's going to be charged with changing, largely, the Minnesota Vikings in 2018 offensively 
went from second to 27th in rushing attempts with 357. Mm. 144 fewer rushing attempts in 2018 as compared to 2017. The pass attempts in 2017 with uh, Case playing the majority of the games, the Vikings were tied in the National Football League for 21st with 527. This year with Cousins, that went up to 13th with 606. But I think the most important stat I gave you is rushing attempts. 501, second in the league in 2017, down to 357 in 2018. And so I think what we're we're looking for from Stefanski here, what Zim is going to preach and look for from day one and even might be involved in on a day-to-day basis, is the rushing attempts have to go back up. And the other part of this, too, is if I'm not mistaken, they average more yards per carry this year than they this past season than they did in 2017. Mm-hmm. And they ran the ball a lot more in 2017. So I think, you know, because part of the discussion has been, well, the offensive line is so bad, so they can't run the football. And that's why they haven't been running the ball enough. But then when you look at the numbers and it's like, well, the yard per carry averages were up yes. this year than yes. it was the year before. So it's not like they were just completely unable to run the football at all this year. They just didn't do it a lot. And now part of that was just because early on in the season, they were behind in a lot of games and they had to throw their way back into it. I mean, Cousins, the game in Lambeau, they had to throw their way back into it because they were down by a couple of touchdowns. But still, I mean, it's not this complete ineptitude to 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 run the football. They can run the ball. I guess Zimmer just wants to do more of it. Well, I, I think the assumption offensively from that side of the staff going into th- this year was you just signed a quarterback to a huge free agent contract. You've got Thielen. You've got Diggs. Let's go throw the football. Mm-hmm. And that was fine for a while, but this all comes back to, and, and you know, Stefanski for the first 13 games of this season, the last two years, or last few years, has been this team's quarterback coach. This all goes back to now... Yes, having an improved offensive line, but also milking the most out of Kirk Cousins that you possibly can as a coordinator. Kirk Cousins needs involvement here. Kirk mm-hmm. Cousins needs guidance. Kirk Cousins needs coaching. I keep going back to, I do believe that Kirk Cousins has arm talent, and I believe he has athletic ability. Not off the charts, but I think he's got it. But I think what he really needs is he needs coaching. And And the funniest thing about this is, if 62-year-old Zim gets his way from his 36-year-old OC in 2019, mm-hmm. the conversation that we're going to be having at this time, right around this time next year, or perhaps in the weeks after, is Kevin Stefanski will be gone as a head coach. Now, here's my question. That's best case. Now, here's my question for you. Are the Vikings extremely fortunate that Kevin Stefanski is coming back? Because if he did land a job somewhere else, let's say he decides to be the, let's say he would have been the offensive coordinator in Cleveland under Freddie Kitchens. Where do the Vikings go? What oh, do they do? I have no idea. Yeah, I have no what, idea. What direction do they go? Who do well, they, if you is were... Is Downing? Do they give Downing the job? No, no, no. Hell no. <laughs> and, and to turn the question back on you, if you had coaching experience and I came to you and I was him and I said, Manny, I want you, but here's the deal. You know I'm hard to work with. And number two, I've got a year left on my contract. So, yes, I think the They're fact incredibly that, fortunate. I think the fact that Stefanski, after he lost the opportunity because the Vikings blocked him last year to take the OC job with the Giants and Pat Shermer, I think the Vikings are extremely fortunate because if they don't get him, I'm not coming here. One yeah. year left. And you've gone through, you've blown through at least two OCs in season, and you're a defensive guy who gets down on me. And by the way, we're now in a passing league, and your edict to me is run more? <laughs> and it's Kirk Cousins? Yes, you are correct. They are very fortunate. Very fortunate. Now to the feel-good story of yesterday. Ding, ding. Nice wow. save by Taj Gibson. Right by the timeline. Wiggins, that is a tough jumper, and Andrew drills it. Okogie, they're working around to Wiggins. Andrew, the three ball. Andrew's locked in. Andrew's got nine. That's all those guys in there. Unbelievable how they, you know, just stay connected throughout throughout the whole game. Um, down the stretch, just there were so many times where we could have, you know, disbanded, and then the uh, the crowd could have gotten gotten to us. 
but I can't say enough about that team. Ah, uh, you know what? It, it, it happened. It happened so fast. But my first thought was just um, was just proud of these guys. I mean, that was the main thing. You know, it's just a. It, it is a surreal moment. Uh, obviously, one that you know you don't necessarily ask for in the middle of a season to um, to come into a situation like this. Um, but so I, so I respect that. But uh, but it was a surreal moment um, for, for myself. I'm really torn here. I've got all right. Truth be told, I've got two pages of notes on on the wolves. Okay. Okay. And the first page starts off with the fact that it is impossible. You have to be the biggest Grinch, the biggest sob in the history of the world, <laughs> to not root for Ryan Saunders yeah. and this story. Okay. Yeah. Okay. But here's where I'm super torn. Because I was going to focus on that because that was a great game last night and it mm-hmm. was fun to watch. And but total truthfulness right now. Okay. I watched that game last night and it was emotional. Like I felt great for Saunders. It was great to see him bonding with players. It was very you cool. know, his dad, yeah. I'm sure, was smiling from somewhere, right? And I'm thinking, this is really great. And then I also watched this. Okogie, they working around to Wiggins. Andrew, the three ball. Andrew's locked in. Andrew's got 19. And I can't help myself, Manny Hill. I can't help myself because on the one hand, I'm watching Ryan Saunders coach that team and that team win a tough game in OKC. And that's awesome. 40-10-4 from Andrew Wiggins. Mm -hmm. I can't help but be really, really torn on that one because it was such a good performance. And I think it was the best game of his career. I think it was too. But But didn't you stand up in front of your TV at some point and say... What the hell is this? Like, I totally got why like, he was... Like, what the hell is this? As if, like, what is this? What, where did where, this come from? Where is this? Yeah, and, where and, has this been? And you tweeted, yeah. and I agree completely. I tweeted, but you, I think, put it perfectly. This is... Nobody's saying 40, 10, and 4 is the expectation nightly. Nobody's mm-hmm. saying that. But I think your point was, and certainly my point is, this effort... Yeah. This like engagement. Engagement. Cat yes. is foul cat yes. has foul trouble. You guys are in trouble. And now the number one pick from the year before Cat. And this guy who's paid so well. He's doing you know, where why can't we see this? That's that was the underrated part. And you mentioned Cat. That was the underrated part about last night's game was Carl Anthony Towns getting into foul trouble, picking up a fourth foul like two minutes into the second half. Like that put you know that's your best player that's your franchise player getting into foul trouble and cat aside from the foul trouble had a pretty good game and in, in when you factor in how much he actually had to play because getting into foul trouble had to sit a lot more than what he normally would have but that that happens and then you get that kind of performance from Wiggins when at this point the the expectation for Wiggins has been completely out the window because most of us, myself included, is like, this guy just is who he is, and he's not going to progress or get better. You gave up. Yeah. I've I, given I, up I kind of given up, and, I'm with and you. anything that I saw from him was just going to be, for the most part, irrelevant. And, but, and if this is what we're... Now, I have doubts, okay? Mm-hmm. But if this is what we're going to get from him, then Ryan Saunders gets the job. Yeah. Like, this isn't going to be an argument. Friday, I think Friday, and, and it'll only be the second game under Saunders, but Friday will be big to see how Andrew performs on And Friday just to be well. clear to Corzo, I'm not buying it. I don't believe it. So don't tweet me right now and say, <laughs> it's not going to happen. I get where you're he's all going. Go- to. I get you where know you're he's all, going to. And right? I get where you're all going with this, and I don't disagree. <laughs> but you know what? Stuff like that in the wild, this is why I, I'm shocked I've got hair. But I just you know wanna- what? I, I I see this and I'm like well, okay repeat it. But the, the the thing of it is though, Judd, it's it's I think at this point, look, the contract is what it is. They this franchise needs. I mean, it's it's easy for us to sit back and say, well, he's just not going to get any better. Just forget about it. Whatever. Lower the expectations for him. But in the grand scheme, cor- uh, I just almost called you Corzo. Sorry. Uh, in the grand scheme, Judd, as a compliment. Yeah. <laughs> they need this kid to get I know, it I know, badly. I know. But he proved last night he's got it. Okay, yes. he's not a bad team. You're on the road. He's had good games there. I get that. But mm-hmm. we can see this again. All right, let's uh, take a break. Phil will join the show at 4. But next up, one of our favorite guests, Jim Peterson, Fox Sports North, Wolves analyst extraordinary. He's fantastic. He joins the program. Don't go anywhere. More Mackie and Judd coming up next. Just hold your ass right there. On 1500 ESPN. 
Are you ready? Live from the TCL Broadcast Studios. We are ready. Now back to Mackie and John. Ready! On 1500 ESPN. All right, quick check on traffic here. It's brought to you by the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. And uh, 35W northbound, we've got a crash uh, near the 26th Street overpass, causing about a three-minute delay there. So uh, that's the only crash I got in the area right now that's causing any delays. Otherwise, everything moving about as smooth as you can ask for during this time of the day, Judd. Westbrook for the lead, leaves it short. Paul George, no, and the Timberwolves escape. Ryan Saunders, 1-0 in his NBA coaching career in a game that goes right down to the wire. TCL Broadcast Studios, Mackie and Judd. Uh, Phil joins the show as he always does at 4 p.m. Joining us now, one of our favorite guests, um, analyst extraordinaire from Fox Sports North, Jim Peterson, who was on the call last night of that fantastic Wolves game. Uh, Jim, appreciate the time as always. I want to start you with this one. Among the many Wolves games you've seen, moments you've seen, how special was that whole thing last night with getting to see Ryan Saunders coach this team to a win as we all thought about his dad? I mean, just how special was the whole night? Not just the win, but just the whole thing. That's a great question. Um, It's up there. I mean, it really is. I mean, in in terms of everything that, you know, we've been through, um, I think that, uh, you know, I think that, you know, I'm 56 years old and I've been involved with the NBA since 1984 and I've been the analyst for this team for 21 years. So I've been through a lot, you know, and I think, you know, I'm not too naive to know that um, this is just one game and it's a snapshot in time. Um, But, for this one snapshot in time, um, for what it meant for on so many levels, it was one of the best ever. I mean, I mean, I've known Ryan since he's been a little kid. You know, I've you know I've known Flip since I was a little kid. I've known Flip since I was in eighth grade. Um, and uh, you know, my my best friend, you know, a couple of buddies, you know, my best friend growing up, his dad worked uh, at Riverside Bank on campus and would bring me to games. Uh, me and my buddy Jeff Chase and his dad, Gene, uh, we would go to games and Gene knew Bill Musselman really well. And so I got a chance to meet Flip when I was in junior high and became friends with him. Um, Gene ended up doing some business with Flip after he graduated from U of M. So, I mean, I've known Flip and Debbie since they, you know, were dating and, uh, and uh, she was a cheerleader at the University of Minnesota. So when you when you when you think about you know my relationship with the Saunders family and seeing Ryan grow up and um, you know his time in Washington when we go go and play the Wizards and see him working on the floor with John Wall doing ball handling routines with uh, Bradley Beal and all the all the work that he was doing with those guys and then when Foot got fired and Randy took over Randy you know kept kept Ryan on board um, and then Ryan. You know, pretty much has been, um, you know, not living off of Flip's name. Ryan's been doing the work, man. I mean, like Ryan's Ryan, Ryan's put the time in. You know, he he sat there and stared at that at that damn computer screen, and and he's been on the court sweating with the guys. You know, um, and there's just no substitute for that. There's no substitute for putting in the work, and then for him to be catapulted into this situation like on a moment's notice, and then have to play in one of the most difficult venues, Judd. You know what I mean? Like, this yeah. is one of the most difficult venues in the NBA to play. I mean, it was a loud arena, and it popped. And they were, it was a, an emotional game. Um, and to have the outcome happen the way it did, you know, Josh Kogi hitting that, you know, a young player hitting that three, and seeing Wiggins just turn it on to have one of his best games, if not his best game as a pro. Um, to see Nerlens Noel, the tragedy, like, like, the, the fall that he took and the, the dust up between um, Jeff Teague and, and uh, Dennis Schroeder. Mm-hmm. Um, it just had so much texture and drama. And uh, it was just it was just an incredible story. If you, if you didn't see the game, you really missed something. What was it like to, from your broadcast perch right by the benches there, Jim, to to go from Tibbs, you know, who stood up and screamed for entire games and seemed to bristle about life in general, 
to Ryan, who evidently was talking to players. At one point, uh, Taj came and threw his arm around him and gave him some a suggestion or something. I, I heard you uh, relayed the story. Sarich got taken out of the game after he missed a big shot. And, and Ryan said to Dario... I'm going to put you back in, and you're going to hit a key three-pointer. I mean, what was what was that juxtaposition like to go from Tom to Ryan watching last night's game? Well, look, you know, Judd, you know that, that uh, sports and coaching, there's all different kind of coaching styles, all different kind of motivational techniques. You know, I don't think Bill Belichick is sitting on the sidelines rah-rah. You know what I mean? He's not sitting there high-fiving. And so when you look at Tom Thibodeau's coaching style, um, it's not like Belichick's, but you know what I mean? Like, yeah. Belichick's not a rah-rah guy. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, there's all kinds of coaching styles. But basketball is different. You know, basketball, you know, motivation is such a huge thing. And, you know, um, giving a guy a pat on the butt and, uh, you know, uh, rewarding. Because, like, basketball is about, you know, playing with energy and effort. And it's a, and it's, you see everything. As a fan, you're sitting right there. And the, and the TV cameras, you know, there's no helmets or caps or, you know, you're, you're playing shorts in a, in, a, in a tank top, you know, and you got sneakers on. And you see everything, and you hear everything. And you see the emotions on everybody's faces. And Tibbs was, I mean, he just he's not my cup of tea in terms of how I would want to be treated as, as a player. Um, you know, I'd, I'd like a little encouragement once in a while. And to have someone yelling, and I think, I think the players pretty much tune out a lot of the, a lot of the yelling that Tibbs does. I think... I think that, and, and I don't know that they were as unhappy with him as I think people make it out to be. I think that for for the most part, they they played for each other and they and they they had a good time. But the the, the energy that Ryan Brain brought to that game last night, um, the the juxtaposition of you know, and, and Tips would stand in front of me at Ben's the whole time. I mean, like he's standing. I mean, I'm watching the monitor probably sixty or seventy percent of the time because I can't see the floor. You know what I mean? And uh, so it, it was just a huge difference for me. And then seeing the interaction and seeing the players interact and seeing Ryan slap somebody in the butt and, like, give him a high five. And, and you know, you're right. I mean, I, Ryan, right in front of me, it was like, you know, Dario was super disappointed. He had missed two wide-open shots. And Ryan was platooning Taj and, 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 and uh, Dario. And, and so he punched Dario on the chest. He said, I'm putting you back in. And you're going to hit a big three. And then Dario didn't hit the big three, but but Josh Okogi did, who had missed a bunch of shots in a row. Like, Josh himself had missed a couple wide-open shots. And for and for him to hit that third one, to, for Ryan to leave him in the game and to let him give get a chance to get it back. And Westbrook had scored on him seven straight times, by the way. It looked like Josh was, like, locking Westbrook down. That's why you had him in there. He did have him in there for defense, but, um, you know, it just... It just was fun, you know. It was, it was and my, my comment afterwards was the game, in a word for me, was joyful. You know, everybody was having fun, and so, like I say, it's a snapshot in time. It's 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 one game. How how, do, how are they going to be able to operate when adversity comes? And and we'll see how this all plays out. But I just couldn't have been happier for Ryan and for the Saunders family, for Debbie, who was sitting at home, probably just you know loving it, and you know. His sisters and you know the in-laws and um, Ryan's wife, who's you know sitting at, at home, you know watching the game. So I uh, just you know, and we're cognizant of all this too. By the way, we're sitting here doing it, and everybody's like, everybody knows what's happening and, and what this means for the Saunders family. So um, and then you know, Mr. Taylor, I mean, he's sitting there at home watching it. Um, you know, the entire organization is watching this moment. The whole league is is, is checking this thing out. Um, and so I guess it was a great moment for the, for the franchise, that's for sure. Jim P., doesn't it kind of speak to, like, something that I've said and we've heard a lot of people say about, you know, knowing your person, if you're a coach, knowing your personnel, like, knowing that certain, you know, certain ways that you coach may not reach certain type of players that you have. And it seems like, it, and, and, you know, I'm trying not to be hyperbolic here, because it is just one game under Ryan, but it just seems like Ryan knows exactly what to say to certain players that are on the team to get the most out of them, and that may have been something that Tibbs may not have been able to do. Well, you know, I think um, one of the things that I learned from Cheryl Reeves, and I, and I relay these stories to people, and there's, there's a bunch of them, but one of the things that Reeves did all the time... 
excuse me, um, was that she would meet with players. Um, she would meet with players all the time, and she'd be she especially meet with the captains. You know, she'd meet with Waylon Brunson, um, Simone Augustus, um, you know, Taj when she was there, and and Maya Moore or whatever. She would always meet with them. Um, and, and, and give them the marching orders so that they, that she didn't have to sit there and like do everything all the time. But she would also meet with subsets, just the posts, just the guards, just the bench players individually all along the course of the season to make sure everybody knew what their role was. And there was never any confusion. And also there was never any confusion about whether she cared about them as people. And I just think that that's, that's a huge thing to sit there and, you know, to check in with people, you know what I mean, and make them feel like they're they're part of the process, and that the, how important they are to you know the, the concept of a team. Everybody's a everybody's got a role to play, and and super identifying, you know, how important your role is, however big or small your role. And so for Ryan to meet with all of the players individually before this game and check in with them, and and uh, even like the coaches huddling up during timeouts, you know, when when timeouts were called. Tibbs didn't sit there and huddle up with the coaches to keep them engaged or to check in to see if they had any ideas about what's happening or what needs to change or what they're doing well. Um, he would just go right into the huddle himself and not even talk to them. And, I, you know, I was a part of that when I first started coaching. You know, Jim Gillen, when I, my first year when Don Zierden left and went to the, went to the Wizards was flip, um, Jen Gillum did the same thing. She didn't sit there and like ask me what I thought during a timeout, and, and I, I, didn't, I didn't think she was served by that. So... Just even coaches huddle up during the timeout, and like he, you know, Ryan's checking in with them. Of course, he would do that because he, you know, he doesn't know everything. Um, he's got some pretty veteran guys over there that know what's happening. So it's just a, I don't know, it's, just, it's a different process. And I think that when 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 people are engaged and when when they feel like they're um, heard and when they feel like they're part of the process and when they when, and when you know the coach is connecting with them, I think players will play harder. I think they'll. And I think that's part of like the Andrew Wiggins situation. I think that Ryan has spent so much time with Andrew on and off the court, um, especially on the court. Like you know, Andrew knows that that uh, that Ryan is in his corner, and I'm not sure that that Andrew felt like Tibbs felt that way about him. You know what I mean? And, and certain players don't need that. Like like Taj is going to be able to operate whether you talk to him or not talk to him. Taj just. You know, that's just the way he is. And I think Derrick Rose is going to be able to do that. And, and you know, I, um, there are certain players that just can go out there and just do it. But I think there are other players that you you have to check in with, man. You've got to have a relationship with them um, so that they feel like they're part of the process. So I, I, just, I just think that Ryan has that ability to connect, which is very special. So to that point, uh, Jim, what is the key? 40-10-4 last night, and Wiggy was unbelievable what do you think, and I don't expect those stats to be repeated on a nightly basis, but that effort, that intensity, that ability, which is clearly there, what is the key to unlocking that consistently so that guy shows up, do you think? Well, I mean, I think part of it is, is to not go back to, um, what, you know, when Derek was healthy, and I, I, Derek Rose is one of my favorite all-time players that we've had through here. Um, you know, I, I think that... Um, People have their opinions. He's one of the most polarizing players that, that we've had. I mean, in my 21 years, I don't think that Dirk Rose is, is such a huge follower. You guys have no, and maybe you do know, but I, I mean, do you guys realize how big he is, how popular he is? Oh, yes, around, definitely. Around the world? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's unbelievable. Manny, I mean, like this guy, like he's got such an incredible following, and for a good reason, because Dirk is one of the most transcendent talents. I mean, to be the youngest rookie of the year, excuse me, the youngest MVP, and uh, the way that he plays with such great heart and effort. Um, I just, and he's so humble, you know, but, um, but the way Tibbs used him was, um, he, you know, was dominating the ball and his usage rate, you know, for much of the season has been, you know, behind towns. And some, in some instances, some stints, like some um, stretches of, of the season, Derek's usage rate has been way above towns and Wiggins. And so, you know, if Derek's going to dominate the ball and, and, and have the ball end of game situation and, and you're going to make Andrew a spot-up shooter, Andrew's going to feel like he's not really empowered to do what he can possibly do. And I think that um, there's a lot of factors that work into, I think, the psychology of Andrew Wiggins and what unlocks his potential 
But I think more than anything else, I think you have to engage him. And you have to give him responsibility and tell him how, how important he is to the team and how, how much you, you need him to do the things that he did last night. And um, so, you know, we've seen stretches of it, but, um, you know, we'll see. I just don't, I just don't know, and time will tell, we'll see if, if he's going to be able to do this on a consistent basis. I, I suspect that we're going to see a different Andrew Wiggins. We started seeing it maybe, I don't know, this has been bubbling up over the last five or six games where Andrew's been, you know, redoubling his efforts and, and been playing with, with greater energy. So it's just a fascinating thing to watch. This whole thing, this, this entire season has been incredible. I mean, from the whole Jimmy Butler saga to the trade with Philly and getting Rocco and Dario here and, and the coaching change now and seeing Ryan get fill this role, it's just been an incredible story. It's, it's fascinating. I can't wait to see how it ends. How much fun is Friday night going to be when Dallas comes to town and it's going to be Ryan's first home game as coach? Well, again, you know, he's, um, he's going to put the work in. I, you know, I kind of feel bad for him because like, he, he, um, he hadn't slept in two days. You know, I, I, I don't think he, got, he didn't get much sleep the, the, the night that he found out he was going to take over. And then um, the night before the game, um, the players did their top golf thing again, uh, which was pretty successful the last time they were in OKC. They did top, top golf, and they won that game in OKC. Did we see some better swings this time around than the, know, from the first I time? Don't know if it was, I don't know if it was better. I suspect that it was better, but um, but they did it again, and so this team building thing was great, And but I don't think Ryan got much sleep that night, but I think he's, um, he, he's probably just inundated. I texted him the night before the game, um, and I was surprised that he texted me back as fast as he could, the best he did. But Bench was telling telling us on the air last night that I didn't know this that Ryan was prioritizing um, people within the organization to get back to them. But um, I mean, I just can't imagine what his life is like right now. Can you imagine? I mean, like you know, whirlwind, uh, right? I mean, completely like, you know, to have to have your dad be who he is and, and, and how important Flip is to this organization and then, to, you know, to be on this ride with him all the way up and all the stuff that Flip went through as a coach, you know, both um, in the, in the you know, CBA and then his ascension with the Timberwolves and then, you know, leaving and going to Detroit, and going to Washington, coming back to Minnesota again and bringing KG here and oh, just, I mean, and, you know, Ryan being at his side for, you know, you know, until, you know, Flip's untimely death. I mean, what a tragedy. And, and you know, here's the other thing about Ryan. At Flip's funeral, he knocked the eulogy out of the park. It was one of the most beautiful, touching moments. Ryan did his father so proud. I mean, like, like in a very difficult situation with all these super famous people that were, that were there for this, um, um, for this funeral. And Ryan just stepped up in a very emotional moment and just, like, knocked it out of the park with one of the greatest eulogies I've ever heard. I've been to a lot of funerals, but... Um, Ryan just did such a great job. So, um, yeah, it's just got to be a whirlwind for the guy. And it's going to be a great, it's going to be a great. And Mr. Taylor will be there too, hopefully. And, um, um, and hopefully we can keep this thing rolling for Ryan's sake and for the team and for the city of Minneapolis and St. Paul and the state of Minnesota. Cause this is a basketball state. As much as it's a hockey state, you guys know this, man. And as much as the Vikings dominate, it's still a basketball state. People love the game. And um, and so I think everybody can kind of identify with what's happening right now. Thanks, Jim P. Great stuff. Appreciate the time as always. Okay. We'll see you guys. All right. Take Thanks, care. Manny. You got it, buddy. Bye-bye. All right. See you. Jim Peterson, Fox Sports North. He uh, does a fantastic job. And just quickly, I thought this last night, if Saunders gets this job, I don't want, want to see him go off TV, Jim Pete, that is. I'd probably name him to my coaching staff. I think he'd be great on that staff. Yeah. Or at least I would say he's coached before. He's an incredibly smart guy. Even Keel, right? Mm-hmm. Totally gets it. Cares about these players, Cares too. about these players. I think yeah. he would be. And, and I don't want that personally because I think on TV he's he on is TV. just fantastic. Yeah, I but I think that he would be an outstanding addition to that coaching staff. Let's take a break. Uh, we're up against it. Come back and talk about the Kevin Stefanski hire. He has officially been named the Vikings OC. Our buddy Matthew Collar joins us next to uh, dissect and go through what that means for this team. Don't go anywhere. Assume the position. More Mackie and Judd coming up next on 1500 ESPN. 
Becky and Judd are back. Start churning butter and put on your church shoes, little sister, because we're about to blast off. On 1500 ESPN. All right, TCL Broadcast Studios, Mackie and Judd Phil joins the show in about 20 minutes from now. Joining us now, our buddy, 1500ESPN.com, Vikings beat writer extraordinaire, Matthew Collar. What was your reaction to the not actually shocking news at all that Pat Shermer Jr. is now going to be the Vikings OC, Matthew Collar? (laughs) Uh, You know, that's a good way to put it. Uh, Unsurprised was certainly my reaction, uh, especially considering some of the extremely underwhelming names that have been thrown around. I mean, Mike Malarkey, Hugh Jackson, I I think any of those type of names that had failed in other places would have probably sent Vikings Twitter through the roof Mm -hmm. had they been hired. Uh, I I think another part of it is Kevin Stefanski built up a really good relationship with Kirk Cousins last year, and I think that they were on the same page and a lot of the offensive players wanted some continuity. I mean, I think if you took a poll in the locker room, they were very happy with Stefanski's changes that he made over those last three weeks and and would like to see more in a similar offense with just his stamp on it. I I don't think that now they will have to go learn an entire new system. I think it will just be the tweaks that he wants to make. And, yes, I I think he is going to go back to doing a lot of the same things as Pat Shermer. And, you know, everybody wants the next Sean McVay, but – When you look at the coaches that have worked under Andy Reid and the type of success they've had, and, uh, you know, Pat Schirmer was one of those guys, I mean, they are about the most successful coaches that are out there. He has an incredible coaching tree, and I guess uh, by proxy, Kevin Stavansky becomes part of that, and and that is a reason, I I think, for Vikings fans to be optimistic about what Kevin Stavansky can bring to this offense. So we certainly can expect that this offense is going to run the ball more in 2019 than they did in 2018, Collar. But if you were to elaborate on that and say, okay, the the, the principles that uh, Stefanski is going to install, that Shermer used, that maybe Filippo didn't, what do you think some of the other subsets are of things that Kevin probably told Mike, I'm going to do this, and John didn't? Besides just you know, run. I, I really, yeah, I, I really think that there's too much focus on the whole we need to run the ball thing. I mean, if you're... Zimmer and you're watching your quarterback turn it over a lot I'm certain that you want to run the ball you want to control it more you don't want to see the opposing team hold on to the ball for 37 minutes like the Chicago Bears were able to do in in week 17 but I think that what Zimmer really knows is how good Kirk Cousins is with play action and you don't necessarily have to have a good running game to be good in play action but it doesn't hurt either so I think that's a major part of it and we know that Pat Shermer loved using play action with Case Keenum all the time I think that's part one part two is I I just ran the numbers on Delvin Cook and how much he touched the ball the first four games under Shermer compared to this year mostly under John DiFilippo and uh, you know it dropped by about six touches a game and that's with Kevin Stefanski giving him the ball quite a bit over those last three games. So right. I think part of it, and, and I know he was injured, but even when he wasn't injured, he would get two catches and, and ten carries or something. I mean, I, I think that Mike Zimmer looks at Delvin Cook as a truly special talent with the ball in his hands, and you've got to find a way to get it to him more. So when you talk about the schematic changes, certainly running the ball is a conversation, but you know, I think if Matt Asiato was their running back, they wouldn't be talking so much about running the ball as – the fact that it's Delvin Cook and he could break a 20, 30, 40-yard play at any time. Um, they, they did break some big plays still, but I think if you're giving it more to Delvin Cook, you've got a better opportunity of scoring without Kirk Cousins having to be perfect. And I, I think that that was a, a theme throughout the year that Kirk Cousins had to step up in any game they ever wanted to win because they rarely got you know, contributions from the run game on big plays. And when they did, it was against you know the Jets or Arizona. Right. Um, and and I, I think that that's what Zimmer wants, is he wants Delvin Cook creating the big plays he knows he's capable of. Perfect world, ideal conditions. Who can Delvin Cook be? Oh, that's a good question. Uh, just name your favorite top-tier running back. Ezekiel? I mean, I, I mean I think, can, can he be him? Is he a step below him? I don't think that they have the offensive line for him to be Ezekiel Elliott, but at the same time, you look at his yards per carry, and it's not that different. I mean, for his early career here, which is about one season worth of football, he's averaging 4.7 yards per carry, and that's without a great offensive line. 
And I don't think that that would bother Mike Zimmer at all if they were giving him the football as much as Ezekiel Elliott. I was thinking about Le'Veon Bell and his role in Pittsburgh before he took this year off, or how about Shady McCoy even? I mean, with, yeah, with how, dif- how difficult he is to tackle, how many different things he's able to do. I mean, I, I want to see him lined up at wide receiver much more often. I, I want to see creative ways to get him the football. I want to see outside more outside running from him this year. It seemed like a lot of times they were going between the tackles. But, you know, the, the all-around running backs who can do it all and lead the league in touches, I think that's what they want Delvin Cook to be, and I don't disagree with that at all. Cousins can't, uh, at this age, be changed completely. But if you were to have a very short list, if, if you were to uh, Stefanski and you called Kirk today and said, when you show up, we're going to work on X, Y, and Z and work to, if not perfect those things, hone those things, Matthew Collar, where would, and this is going to sound silly and stupid, but where would the screen pass come in? Because, you know, it did astound me when, when we talked after he threw the pick against the Dolphins, when you guys started talking about, yeah, he's not great at screen passes, which in this game today is is a big deal. Where would working with him on at least becoming a proficient in the screen game, as far as the pass goes to Delvin Cook there, become to you? Well, I would say this. Because Cousins does not execute those very well, you might have to change how you do it. I mean, there's the short passing game is everything in the NFL now. I was just looking at this. 425 out of 606 throws by Kirk Cousins were under 10 yards. And they were one of the least efficient teams, the Vikings, in the NFL when throwing the ball under 10 yards. That's not good. And a lot of that is scheme. I mean, when you look at Sean McVay and how efficient the Rams are on short passes, a lot of that is scheme. A lot of the reason why Todd Gurley averages 10 yards a catch for his career is because they scheme good ways to find him space. And we saw them do that against the Vikings where, uh, you know, this is the same with Tariq Cohen, where you have running backs going up the field, and maybe that's what they have to do on some of these short passes as opposed to just the traditional screens that Keenum was really good at executing, but actually using a little more vertical attack with Delvin Cook, he's able to do that. Uh, but but that's, the short passing game, to me, is really where it starts because a lot of that is almost any quarterback can execute it. It's just how do you do it? And, mm-hmm. and Cousins might struggle with, he might struggle with swing passes or certain types of screens that he, he reacts to a little bit slower than you need him. Okay, so find different ways. Find underneath routes and combinations where you can find room after the catch. How many times with Case Keenum did we see a short pass to Adam Thielen turn into 20 or 30 yards? And we saw it a couple times early this year with Stephon Diggs, and then that went away as the season went along. So he's got to find more ways to be efficient in that short passing game because we know – deep passing game, Cousins will execute that. Exactly. Uh, McVeigh's name, okay, I've got I've got a conundrum here because I am all for, I, I think where this league is going is actually pretty cool offensively in the passing game, right? And, and you've got a lot of, of the college game in itself transferring itself to the pro game, and there's a lot of really neat things, fun things to watch going on. But here's my here's my dilemma right now. Are we jumping the shark here? I mean, Sean McVay is a great offensive mind, and we've talked about this. There are some young guys out there who are really, really good. Um, But I have cause for pause when Kingsbury gets fired in the college ranks, takes the USCOC job, and then teams in the National Football League, Matthew Collar, don't pursue him as an OC, but say, we want you to be our, our head coach. Are we getting too far down this road too quickly? Well, you know, I, I think that it's sort of just the way the NFL has always gone. I mean, when the Ravens won the Super Bowl in, in 2001 with Trent Dilfer as their quarterback, I mean, didn't every one of those coaches on that staff become somebody's head coach, right? I mean, uh, you know, Rex Ryan and Marvin Lewis and everybody, it seemed like, got a job after that. And then everybody was looking for defensive coaches for a while. And then, you know, Rex Ryan has some success with the Jets and beats the Patriots in the playoffs. So they've got, a, you know, everyone wants the next Rex Ryan. And, you know, it's, just, it's sort of the chasing of the tail. But what ultimately it turns out to be is, you know, someone like Sean McVay is a super, super special guy. And I don't think it's just when it comes to his schemes. I also think it's how he maximizes the personnel also the personnel that they were able to build around him, and then the culture he was able to create. I mean, you really need perfect storms. So some of these situations might not work out. Next year, Cliff Kingsbury might go 6-10 and because Arizona is freaking bad, Judd. (laughs) 
There's so oh, they're a dumpster fire roster. again. Yeah, I have no idea when, but they got really dumb again. <laughs> yeah, the, the roster is an absolute atrocity for the Cardinals, and I don't see how that's getting fixed in one year, but everyone, of course, will judge that in one year. And that's the thing is so many things are circumstances. With Sean McVay, I buy into every bit of him being a genius, mm-hmm. but they signed, they signed Andrew Whitworth. They signed Robert Woods. They got Brandon Cooks out there in a trade. They already had a top pick, Todd Gurley. They already had a top pick quarterback, Jared Goff. Circumstances matter. And that's where, you know, I I think Matt LaFleur is probably really smart, right? But Marcus Mariota just hasn't turned out to be the quarterback people thought he would be. So the Titans' offense might have been smart, but it wasn't particularly impressive. Now, with Aaron Rodgers running it, will it be better? Probably. And that's why it's just always hard with these things. It's kind of a coin flip. The Kingsbury one's going to stand out to a lot of people, but when you look at his offenses, they were about as creative as you will ever find when he was at Texas Tech. So that's what they're looking for. They're hoping that that they can bring that, but some of these will work and some of them won't, whether it's offensive or defensive. It usually has to do with the circumstance, and then it's the extra couple percentage points that the coach can get out of it. Cody Parkey, your thoughts? Uh, I I guess it was tips. So what? Ha- I mean, what, did he get cut? No, no, no. I just just the fact that the poor guy who hit who hit the uh, uprights against Detroit in one game four times doinked it off. Unfortunately for him, doinked it off both on Sunday. The poor Bears play this whole game, you know, in the trenches, right? You got all these big guys, and then the little kicker, just like Blair Walsh, the little kicker comes out and somehow, way, shape, or form, screws you in the end. Are you the type of person that when that happens, you uh, would, if you were in the stands, would you boo him or would you just feel really, really awful? I feel bad for No, I feel bad. I'm just saying I, I also, I know why Zim hates these guys. Because <laughs> if you're Zim, you coach defense, right? You coach the defense. You stop the offense. And it's, it's defensive linemen and safeties with big hits. And then at the end of the game, it's this little guy with his foot. And your whole season's yeah. up to a little guy with his foot. So, but yeah, I would not I mean, boo him. I felt bad for him. Yeah, my my thought entirely when that happened uh, was I feel so bad for this guy. There are very few times that I feel bad for anyone out there in a football game. Like you know, I mean, I don't want anybody hurt, but you know, somebody overthrows an open wide receiver, and you sort of go, "Well, that's the game that happens." But when the whole nation, and, and I saw that that was one of the highest rated games ever or something mm-hmm. in playoff history. And so the entire nation has their eyes glued on you and you miss, even if it is tipped, you basically had to be on the internet to know that it was tipped, right? Because even when I saw it, I didn't realize at first that somebody oh, I did neither. No. on it. No. And, and then, so, so that sort of absolves them a little, but then you have a bunch of kickers who come out and say, you should have kicked it higher. So it's like, uh, it is too bad. I mean, I, this is the same guy who had, remember the helicopter was over Soldier Field when he was practicing yes. kicking late at night? It reminded the news me helicopter. So of, that's right. It reminded me so much of Blair Walsh coming in on those mm-hmm. off days and trying to kick while Mike Zimmer was doing a press conference and getting asked about Blair Walsh missing kicks. Once you're at that level, you should just cut the guy anyway. Uh, but, yeah, it was just, I, I mean, the Bears had such an incredible season this year, and it all came down to that, but... You know, I also think that there were plenty of opportunities in that game for them to make a stop or, or whatever on Nick Foles, and, and they didn't do it. So uh, anytime that happens, uh, have I ever told you, Judd, that my first sports memory ever as a child was wide right, Scott Norwood? Uh, yes, you, you have. And I actually, at least the second that you set foot in this state collar, you then became one of us because we could all sympathize with your plight as a youngster. That's yeah, the good exactly. thing. I know all wide, all wide right. We we do too. All right, thank you, sir. Talk to you later. Thanks, Jeff. All right, bye bye. Matthew Collar, uh, fifteen hundred ESPN dot com. Check out his Vikings work. I believe he is uh, working, authoring a column right now on Kevin Stefanski being hired full time as the Vikings OC. Mackie and Judd back after this. Sit tight. The Mackie and Judd show will continue in a moment. Do I have your word on that, sir? Mackie and Judd, absolutely. On fifteen hundred ESPN. Mackie and Judd now continue. What now? What now? Let me tell you what now. Mackie and Judd on 1500 ESPN. All right, here's a quick check on traffic here in the TCL Broadcast Studios. Uh, We still have that crash, 35W northbound in Minneapolis. 
uh, near the 26th Street overpass. That delay is up to about seven minutes now. It was a little shorter than that about a half hour ago. But uh, the congestion has picked up just a little bit. So drive carefully out there, folks. Mackie and Judd, TCL Broadcast Studios. Phil joins the show at uh, 4 o'clock. If, if you missed Jim Peterson, we're going to replay that uh, sometime in the 5 o'clock hour. He was fantastic. I am serious, though. If Ryan Saunders gets this job, and I don't know. They, they might bring in a GM who then, if that's the case, brings in his coach. Mm-hmm. But, Manny, if Ryan Saunders gets this job, I think Jim Pete would be fantastic. Yeah. I, think his men, I think he's wired perfectly. I mean, the man knows basketball inside out. He's great with people. He's coached before. Mm-hmm. There's no, there would be the only downside to me is I'd miss him. Yeah. It'd be tough to not. Have but him if you think about how this guy, Benz, yeah. who this guy knows, who he's close to, the Derek Rose thing is really intriguing, though. He mentioned the fact that he said essentially, you guys don't know, or perhaps you do, but how big Rose is. And he did not I say, know, trust me. but he did not say North America. He said worldwide. Yeah. That's really intriguing. Yeah, he, Derek Rose, you know, and, and Jim Pete hit on it. He's very polarizing, but he has, there's a, a group of people that absolutely love and adore Derek Rose. Now, was and it's he, a lot of people, I mean, a lot of people are from, a lot of those people are from Chicago and they I know that, that yeah. That, Chicago, that, that I've, city, I've been to Chicago and talked to him about Derrick Rose, yeah. but the worldwide but thing. Worldwide, yeah. It's, is he, he's a big deal. Is he polarizing because the off the court and the civil suit? I think that's, is I that, think that's is part that, of it. Yeah. Or is it on court things? I think it's I think it's the off the court stuff that may have more to do with him being so polarizing. Because the on the court stuff, and I think this is part of why so many people still love him, is that there is Ever since he had that injury in that game one against the Sixers in 2012 where he tore his ACL because Tibbs was playing him too many minutes. <laughs> Ever since then, it's the question with Derrick Rose has always been, what if? He was the youngest MVP in the history of the 30 for 30, league. so he's yeah, basically going I mean, to be a Yeah, so it's always 30, been yeah. like on-the-court stuff. It's like, how great would this guy have been if not for all these injuries that he had? And that was kind of the first one. All right, hour one done. We're in the TCL Broadcast Studios. Mackie joins the show next. It is Mackie and Judd, 1500 ESPN. Mackie and Judd resume things following these messages. That's just about the most fantastic scheme I've heard to date. On 1500 ESPN.